Reverie leaves make excellent medicine. As a matter of fact, the reverie leaf is the king of drugs here. No matter what you have, there's always the hope that the leaf can cure it. If you have a disease that can't be treated with reverie leaves, you might as well lie down and pull the sheet up over your head. Although the leaf can cure a number of serious diseases, it does have one peculiarity. It will cure an individual, but it will kill a whole society. That's one kink that we haven't worked out of it yet. We are reading all genres and pulp fiction for the very first time. Each month, we pick a new theme. We try to keep all of our references to books and authors that we've previously read together for this podcast so we can draw connections between genres. Can we create a web of connections between books in different genres and time periods? I don't know, but we're going to try. This month, we are reading dystopian novels. First, we read Repent, Harlequin, Said the TikTok Man by Harlan Ellison. Now... We are reading Cat Country by Lao Shu. Where does utopia end and the dystopia begin? Who makes the claim that a society is dystopian? How do dystopian stories feed on real-world events? My name is Zach, and this week I'm interested in how having a dystopia filled with animals affects how we understand the meaning of this book. I'm John, and this week I'm interested in how the narrator integrates, or more often, fails to integrate into the dystopian society and what role he plays. I'm Bob and this week I'm interested in how the dystopian author turns criticism into a story. Last week with Pent Harlequin we had someone who was a part of the society and resisting against that society. Here in Cat Country we have a stranger coming to this society and learning about it piece by piece but also trying to live his own life. A little bit like Herland in our Utopias that we read last month, where our narrator and his buddies went from being rescues to captives to husbands. The narrator in Cat Country eventually considers improving Cat Country. What did you think of having an arc like this in a dystopian novel? So his arc is kind of like this. He crashes on Mars and his two crewmates die in the crash, leaving him as the only survivor. He's then captured by what we later learn to be a group of bandits and is then taken in by a local landlord. Oh, and these characters are all, just for the information of the listener, cats. The rest of the story just seems to be the narrator meeting more and more cat people and becoming increasingly baffled and horrified by this ludicrous society until the whole civilization just collapses. To me, the funny thing is that the narrator is kind of passive throughout in that Nothing he does, does anything to change the inevitable downfall of this society, despite his best efforts. It's like a ship that's already sinking, or in this case, a spacecraft on a collision course with oblivion. I think that the passivity of the narrator is a really interesting point. And as Bob said earlier, he's constantly waffling between a kind of estrangement from this cat society to these feelings of wanting to establish himself even as their leader. Like, he wants to improve things. And this is constantly undercut by his immense feelings of disappointment in cats as a people and as a society. So I think that in talking about how the author turns these kinds of sharp, real-life social criticisms into a plot, we really need to start with the disappointment that he feels. Like, that feeling is really what drives the plot forward. Did any situation stick out to you two as being particularly damning of these cat people? So, one thing the narrator clings to for a long time is that maybe the youth of this society will be able to turn things around. However, 
that turns out not to be the case at all. He visits a school there and discovers an absolutely horrifying scene in which the students are just going wild. The narrator finds out that this is their first day of school, also their last day of school. Everyone graduates on the first day in cat country. Then the students, after graduation, set upon just brutalizing the the teachers who are skinny and haven't eaten in days, and they haven't been paid for like 25 years. Immediately, the narrator's hopes for a revival among the youth just completely dashed by the terrible education that they get. I really want to jump into this dynamic. I think it's very interesting. The the teachers who are skeletally thin to the point they have to hold themselves up on the wall just to get into the classroom. So there's a nice bit of dialogue between two characters, two students who are brutalizing these teachers. So here's two of these students talking. Make me study, will you? Forbid me from horsing around with the girls, will you? With our whole society as black as it is, you've still got the nerve to tell me to study. Now, I'll tear out your heart. Right. So he's kind of describing this death spiral in the society. And yes, the youth are really bad. But it's not just the youth because the system of education appears to be completely dismantled by these adults. And this itself isn't really the cause of the society's crumbling. It's more like a larger symptom, a continuation of something else that's going on. But we do see a lot of other symptoms too. Like, for example, the environment is entirely toxic. And they say that the only way to survive in it is by eating these drugs, which are called the, the reverie leaves. Yes, the reverie leaves. They're, they're like soma. In Brave New World, they they have these mind-numbing effects, and it makes cat country almost tolerable. But they also become integral to the culture, so if you aren't addicted to this drug, you're suspect. Or as the narrator puts it, there seemed to be an absolute law at work. Stay in cat country, eat the leaf. Don't eat the leaf. Don't stay in cat country. So the pressure of conformity in, in general in cat country molds you into a drug-addicted a leaf eater or this this kind of cat person. A quote from the narrator summing it up, for once you got too close, the place seemed to grab you fast and drag you down against your will. Cat country was like an undertow in the ocean. Get too close to it and you'd be sucked in. So the reverie leaves are one thing going on with this society. There's also the education like we brought up before, but then the the leaders and the politics of the society are also really interesting. So like one of the leaders, who's the character in the book, Scorpion, he seems to be just completely, I guess, full of himself, short-sighted and, and very proud is how I would describe him in the sense of he goes on marches and he sends emissaries ahead of him to erect billboards as he's going along the roads that are like welcoming him and talking about what a great guy he is for him to read as he's being carried along the road. The military, they're, they're weak and they're cowardly. At the library, they've sold all the books for profit. They don't lend them anymore. And they, they justify their incessant looting by adhering to this ideology called everybody share skiism, which was invented by someone named Uncle Carl. And I think that the author, using the character Young Scorpion, which would be Scorpion's son as a mouthpiece, he does identify what the root disease is that's causing all of these symptoms in this dystopia. And he says it's very simple. He calls it a certain lack of of integrity. Ah, a, a certain lack of integrity. We have a good idea of what's wrong with cat country. There's there's looting, they're selling the books instead of renting them out of the library. Lots of great details on what sucks about cat country. But does young Scorpion define his idea of integrity more clearly later in the book? Well, young Scorpion himself is one of the only cat people we meet that actually seem to have 
integrity, which includes a self-awareness of the deficiencies of these cat people since he went abroad and received this foreign education. So he sees cat country in a way very differently from a lot of the other cat people. He is too jaded to actually try and change it and instead just resigns himself to the tragic situation of cat country. His main problem with the people in cat country is just the deceitfulness of the cat people who will almost always lie just for their own advantage. He doesn't so much clearly define his idea of integrity, but he very much clearly gives examples and defines just how duplicitous and dishonest these cat people actually are. So for example, old Scorpion, his father, is always lying about the prices of his reverie leaves. Soldiers lie even about their military titles in order to save their own skins. There's one situation in which after uh, later in the book, toward the end, the cat people are invaded by nearby foreigners and trying to figure out what's going on. The narrator grabs uh, two cats that are on the floor and tries to get some information out of them. And he asks them, which of you is the captain? Both of them just pointed at the other one and said, he is the captain, anticipating that the captain was going to you know, have some kind of violence done upon him. In order to save their skins, they'll happily just, you know, give away their friends, lie, they'd sell their own mother for a reverie leave. Um, so there's no sincerity when it comes to these people, these cat people. And this is one aspect of the cat people, perhaps the only aspect of the cat people that still actually upsets young Scorpion. They still make him angry in his otherwise just completely apathetic, jaded attitude. So, Bob, you said that you were really interested in how the author takes these these elements of real-world critique and lays them out and creates a plot and a narrative out of them. How do you feel like he accomplishes this in Cat Country? No one wants to take authority. They point at each other, say, you're the captain. There's another great scene where a house collapses and all of the cat people just stand there. No one does anything, even though they can hear all the voices crying out for help under the rubble. And the narrator figures out, okay, they're not going to move until I give them a little bit of money. And then even then, as they're moving, they're actually stealing the bricks, not just moving them away, but taking them to their own houses. And all of these characteristics, according to our narrator, seem to point to inevitable doom. He refers a number of times to a finger of destruction pointing down at Cat City and the power of darkness that will inevitably overwhelm Cat Country. So I think it's really interesting that, you know, we've listed all of these different, I guess you would say, sins of Cat Country. but there's very little work done actually connecting it to 1930s China. I mean, for satire or dystopia to work, it can't just have claws. It also needs to scratch, too. Because the narrator is constantly bringing up Chinese society, you know, the society which he came from before he crash-landed on Mars. And he's saying, oh, that beautiful, rational, and good place. He seems to view China as the opposite of cat country. So... You know, is this is this a layer of subtlety or, you know, is this a narrator that we can't necessarily trust? What's going on? Yeah, I was wondering about that, too. Is it do we mistrust the narrator or are they is the writer keeping themselves a little safe? I don't know. But the narrator definitely thinks of China, his home, very fondly. Forgive me if I'm uh, being cynical here, but I think the author doth protest a little bit too much in this regard. Sure, he tags a bit on at the end uh, about beautiful China, but it's literally a footnote tagged on at the end and not even a part of the story. It's like the story ends and then there's an asterisk. And then beneath the asterisk is this little paragraph where he just goes, ah, beautiful China, I'm heading back home. Yeah, this, that, and the other. <laughs> and that's basically it. 
as is definitely not really a part of the narrative. And I think to myself, if, if I was the author, if I was going to write a scathing critique of a place that I also relied on for my livelihood, and I did not want to have my head chopped off, I would also add a bit at the end saying, thank God I can return to this glorious place that I'm definitely not critiquing here. The symbolism in the book, however, clearly refers to real events of which we are unambiguously aware in Chinese history, which definitely represent the Chinese as the cat people and not as these people on another planet somewhere. Uh, to give the most explicit or most obvious example, at the end of the story, foreigners invade cat country. Lao Shi's previous manuscript for his, his previous book, The Year Before, was actually lost when it was destroyed as his publisher in Shanghai was attacked by the Japanese and they bombed the publisher, all the books burned. And this clearly sketches a parallel between cat country and China. You know, cat country is China. The foreign invaders of cat country are almost certain the Japanese. So I think that this is actually an excellent way that we can connect cat country with some of the other books that we've read, especially during Utopian Month, whether that's Thomas More's Utopia, Gilman's Herland, Butler's Erewhon. In all of these books, the narrator exists as this distance perspective that is apart from the author's true feelings. And as a reader, it's really up to us to listen to what the narrator is saying, observe how their narration matches up with the text and the, the, the story, and discern whether it completely fails to match up or whether it's accurate. And that's, you know, that's in reference to events that are on the page or in real life. By paying careful attention to what's going on with the narrator, I think that it's a tool for us to determine what the true feelings of the author actually are. That's interesting to think about. The narrator concealing feelings of the authors or the author cleverly putting different ideas into the mouths of different characters, kind of spreading ideas that might be too critical among other characters, and then you can kind of duck under criticism from your own country. Here we have the very the, the pessimistic young Scorpion, and he makes a lot of really good critiques. The narrator kind of goes back and forth, sometimes agreeing with young Scorpion, sometimes thinking he's too pessimistic and thinking that cat country is all right. So it's interesting to see the narrator work this out as we, the readers, also work this out. And with this in mind, I'd like to return to John's initial question, which is how does the narrator integrate or fail to integrate into the dystopian society? And what role does that narrator play? So the key thing here about the narrator is also the most obvious. The narrator is not a cat. He's a foreigner. A new kind of foreigner to them. He's an earthman. And from the outset, he is only seen as and only valued as a commodity, a very valuable commodity in cat country. That is a foreigner. Now that you mention it, it's really funny that the entire thing that the protagonist is doing is trying to learn as much as he possibly can about this alien society. But none of the cats even express the slightest bit of curiosity about life on Earth. It's really just like, what can you do for us? And I actually think that's kind of a big part of the critique. You know, the fact that they are only very superficially interested in the foreigners, if at all. And again, they're only interested in the foreign ways of life and the foreign customs insofar as it will benefit them. To be honest, I think the only thing they actually show interest in that I can remember is the trousers. You know, they see, they see the Earthman's wearing these trousers and they don't wear trousers, they're naked, the cats. Cats don't wear trousers. And they see his trousers and they're just fascinated. They're like, oh, wow, look at these. What are these? And he's like, the trousers. He's like, oh, wow. And then he he goes back to the same place uh, a couple of days later and he sees everyone wearing these like shitty looking trousers, just trying to be like foreigners. 
And they think like, oh, we're wearing trousers, now we're just like foreigners. So I think this this is one aspect of the critique, actually, just like how little they actually try and integrate these aspects of foreign culture to which they are exposed. But as to the foreigners themselves, the foreigners are highly valued in cat country because they offer great protection for the vested interests of cat country landlords. Like, for example, the cat character Old Scorpion, who takes the narrator in and feeds him reverie leaves in order to protect his crops. This role, however, gives the narrator something of a distorted view of things. He only really sees his own him, himself being flattered, and he sees a society which is ironically much safer and actually much more orderly than it was before he arrived. Believe it or not, cat country was worse before he got there. Quote, if it weren't for the support of foreigners, the emperor wouldn't even be able to safeguard his own supply of reverie leaves. Unquote. The reason here is that although the cat people will willingly eat each other alive for a few reverie leaves, and indeed do so, they are terrified of foreigners. So when there is a foreigner in a society, it immediately becomes much more safe and much more organized. Without foreigners, it's chaos. So it's clear that the narrator is unable to integrate, but also his ability to be a reliable observer of these people is actually limited by his identity as a foreigner, which is, I think, a very interesting feature of this story. And I also wonder if it's an interesting observation about the political situation at the time and perhaps some kind of distortion going on between how things really are in fingers wagging cat country and how they seem to be from the outside. You know, it seems like Laosha is really just describing a society that's governed by just naked power relations. And the foreigners are really just a tool for the cats to dominate each other and to try to try to gain the most in terms of resources and, and just power. In the absence of a rule of law, the society is really being held together by whoever has the biggest guns, or in this case, claws. And that's how it goes in cat country, too. Like you've both just said, the foreign powers come in slowly or piecemeal, and the kind of cat gangsters use them to their own advantage to be able to outclaw or outscratch other cat country people. But then eventually, as more and more foreign powers come in, they kind of steamroll cat country and kind of erase it altogether. Because at the end of the book, when the foreign powers invade, they round up all of the cat people of cat country, put them into a cage. And while inside that cage, the last members of cat country claw each other to death. So I, I want to pick up on that point you just made, Zach. Certainly, there is definitely, uh, you know, a system of naked power relations here. However, I think Lausche's critique here has a little more, a little more bite to it, or a little more scratch, as it were, uh, from the narrator than just that. Having a foreigner to defend them also helps to maintain the status quo in cat country. In this case, the guardianship of old scorpion, insofar as they get foreigners to fight on their behalf, but. The reason foreigners are more powerful and lord it over the cat people is not just because of the, the superior power of the foreigners, as it, as it were, this, these naked power relations, but also just because of the sheer weakness of the cat people. The narrator has this to say, quote, They seem to prefer inviting the foreigners in to bully their own people. Then whose fault was it after all? Only people who have an equal share of guts can respect each other and the people of cat country had simply lost theirs. No wonder other people toyed with them so much. So the foreigners do take advantage of the cat people because of their own superior power, but the narrator also mentions that there are many other societies which are 
not powerful, but nonetheless, foreigners don't take advantage of them quite as much. Why? It seems like there's something distinctively defective about these cat people, and as if they're complicit in their own exploitation. It's real fiery stuff from Lao Shu here, and really quite biting if we read it as social commentary, which I think we probably ought. Young Scorpion has a similar criticism of cat country people because of their addiction to these drugs, to the leaves. These cat country people say, well, it's not our fault for continuing to eat the reverie leaves, but the foreigners' fault for bringing them in the first place. So the foreigners are to blame for the faults in cat people's integrity. By the way, listeners, no prizes for guessing what the reverie leaves symbolize here. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize that opium was still such a force in Chinese society and like all the way up into 1933. You know, nor did I. That was definitely, you know, a big part of the the fall of the Qing dynasty, if I recall. But, you know, we've moved on a long, like this is like 30 years after that, I think. 20 years after that, sorry. But although some events in this story have like, like a contemporary parallel, for example, as I just mentioned, the Japanese invading Shanghai only, in a, only a year before this book was released. I wonder though if, some of the features of this critique represent more generalized frustrations, something that's been built up for, for decades even. And he's really just throwing it all in. Even though the narrator is at times an, unflinch, an unflinching voice commenting on society, throughout he is consistently and very ardently sympathetic towards these people, even though he remains an outsider. It's funny though that the narrator actually does begin to integrate with the society in a sense by eating the reverie leaves. Yeah, I'm not I'm not 100% sure that it's strictly from eating the reverie leaves, but I mean it could be that eating the reverie leaves is part of his slow transformation from the beginning of the book towards being more like one of these cat people. I mean just to kind of trace this path along. In the very first chapter of the book, he's describing these cat people as the cruelest people he's ever seen. But then as we go along as readers, we start to watch his thought patterns actually mirror theirs. I suppose in Young Scorpion's words, you could say that that our narrator has lost his integrity. So like when, when Old Scorpion is having his forest plundered by thieves, only our narrator can help. But instead of helping because helping is the right thing to do, he starts to think, well, maybe I can make a little bit of profit out of Old Scorpion, you know, charge him a little bit of money for helping. And our narrator himself seems to be aware of this transformation. He says, quote, Perhaps I too had been contaminated by the catmen. And then, you know, by the end of the book, he's starting to recognize that he's physically more powerful than the cat people. So he's playing all these fantasies in his head where he's violently seizing power. And, you know, he's justifying it by saying that it's for the good of the cat people. Last week in Harlequin, in Repent Harlequin, we saw a status quo society. No one questions society. They go on, they do their job, they do a great job. But we run into a narrator who breaks out and escapes. It's interesting now to see a narrator, a stranger coming to this town, who is now starting to conform to the society. I wonder if this is going to be like a big feature of dystopian fiction. You know, some of the, in the two stories we have left to read, I wonder if there's going to be some sense in which there's a, there's a question here. When confronted with a dystopian society, just with some kind of hell on earth or other, whether the narrator, who really, you know, we think represents the reader, or generally that's how we think of the narrator, or the main character, whether they accept all that comes with this dystopian society or whether they reject it as a whole. And really, this is kind of like the the individual's dilemma. 
do I risk myself by escaping from the society or going against the society? Do I risk my own life in doing that? Or do I go along to get along and just you know, play along to survive, even if I don't necessarily agree with what they're doing. And I think that this is where young Scorpion's concept of integrity becomes very useful. Because remember, the the in Harlan Ellison's story, the protagonist is captured and he undergoes some torture. And then by the end of the book, he actually becomes a functioning member of, of his dystopian society. But you have this idea of you know, this integrity and he fights it out to the very end, but ultimately Harlan Ellison's character loses. In this book, it's more so that we start out with a character of integrity, but then the values of society take a much more gradual path, insidiously seeping into the character's worldview until they become more and more like this cat country. I think that for Ellison, it's possible for an individual to remain outside of their society. For Lao Shu, it seems like he's more pessimistic, that, that the individual can only be the values of their society. Yeah, certainly. Either you embody the values of society or at least become more like society or the society eats you alive. That seems to be the decision you have to make in a dystopian society. And I don't think there are really any half measures. Interestingly, though, there is a character in this story that almost reminds me of the Harlequin in Harlan Ellison's story, which we read last week which is young Scorpion's comrade, Hawk. So he's a big, strong cat person, but he won't go near a reverie. He says, in our country, good men are seen as frightening and hateful. That's why they call me Hawk. And he's just this badass dude that, you know, he doesn't eat reverie leaves. He's big and strong and speaks like some kind of badass, like, cowboy. And he basically lives hidden away in cat country and comes out briefly in the middle of the story in an attempt just to die a noble death. It's like he comes out of hiding just in order to die. So what he does is, after a little deliberation, he decides to eat 40 reverie leaves, which is the amount it'll take to kill you, in order to die. And then young Scorpion chops his head off and then displays it in Cat City. And frankly, I don't really get why they do this. It doesn't really make much sense. There's no strategy here, really, that I can even think of. They just kind of do it. But nonetheless, he is depicted as a kind of sacrificial victim and perhaps the only cat person with integrity, at least one of the only cat people with integrity. And what happens to him? He loses his head. Well, they didn't really have a good reason why they did this. Our protagonist specifically asks what they're hoping to accomplish, and they all kind of shrug their shoulders. It's kind of like this. It's the the artifice of bravery, but with none of the effect that a brave action brings. Yeah, it seems like even the, the characters with integrity and even the characters with heroic virtues in a dystopian society, still have no real substance to their action. They're just kind of meaninglessly just, I don't know, just committing silly action. Even the heroes, a waste of space. And you know what? While we're on the topic of waste of space, I got a bone to pick with you because you characterize young Scorpion as being one of the few people that has integrity in the society. I couldn't have a more different reading. I feel like if anything, young Scorpion is just as cynical if not more cynical than all of the rest of cat society. I think that because as a character, he spent time living abroad, it gives him the perspective to be able to diagnose cat society, but he's not doing anything but just cynically participating in it. If anything, his perspective of how cynical things are 
really only enables him to be more cat-like, to, to get more out of the society. You could perhaps say that, but at the same time, it's like, the, the, what option does he really have? You know, like we've already outlined, you either accept society and perhaps survive, or at least get along for a little bit, or you reject society and generally come to your end, or at least it's unclear what happens to you if you reject the society. So, you know, Young Scorpion's given a very difficult opportunity here. And I think where I come from when I say he has integrity is that he doesn't lie to himself, right? He, he lies to other people, but I don't think he lies to himself. And that's where I'm coming from when I say Young Scorpion has integrity. He knows how much of a, a waste of space, how futile his efforts are. And he just kind of decides to make the best of it. And he doesn't pull any punches, which is very interesting. He's, he's different from Hawk, where Hawk is a badass and just doesn't live as one should in society. Young Scorpion criticizes it to no end. It's hard to say which is more useful. Even when the heroic one who refuses to live in society is killed, there's no actions. Like you said, Zach, it's the artifice of bravery without any of the effects. The young scorpion is the artifice of criticism without any of the results. But we did wonder, we talked earlier about, you know, is young scorpion maybe a mouthpiece for Lao Shua? And thinking about different characters, you know, a, a an author being able to jump into the heads of different characters almost in costume almost to be able to stand behind them say something they really believe and then leave from that character so we can't really attach any of these words to the author i mean at least the author could argue that so yes perhaps young scorpion is too cynical even for lao shua but all of this 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 positioning of these different characters reminds me of utopia when we read utopia by sir thomas more because that is three characters talking about this island of utopia and taking sides on certain issues. Moore included a character that he named after himself. There is a Thomas More character in Utopia, and he left this character pretty skeptical. The other characters, their, their positivity or their enthusiasm about how good Utopia is. We have an interesting thing in Cat Country where young Scorpion is extremely critical to the point of just condemning his society, but the narrator is critical and sometimes hopeful. I don't think young Scorpion has any hope. It's just criticism. And like Thomas More living in England, Lao Shu might have been careful about how he portrayed overtly critical characters in his book. You know, characters critical about a society that may or may not be modeled on China. But how seriously can you really take a book about cats? You know, I think that this book does do something really, really interesting, which we haven't previously seen before. It makes the culture be composed entirely of citizens who aren't human. And for me, I think that this would be a very, very different book if it were like uh, Bogdanov's Red Star, which we read previously, where the society itself is alien. You know, in that story, everyone is on Mars, but really, wink, wink, they're, they're Martians, but they're really just people like you and I. So when you're reading an allegory where the other person is just this this animal, this completely othered being, how does this affect how you receive it? Like, did you feel like it made a difference in this story? So what strikes me is really just how the cats are such a great symbol for these kind of inhuman humans. Cats are cowardly. They're scared of everything around them. Like The term scurdy cat is not a myth. Cats are perpetually scared out of their life. You know this if you've lived with them. Cats love catnip. Cats 
cozy up to human beings who will feed them and give them protection, but will tear each other to shreds in an alley without qualm, keeping you up at night. Using cats here just immediately evokes... Speaking from experience. Yeah, definitely speaking from experience in cat country, believe it or not. And, you know, using cats here just immediately evokes many of the the key attributes of these cat people. So there's very little, like, ground hard work that needs to even be done from the pros here. Like, just boom, cats. And you're like, wow, yeah, I see it. It's all there. It really is doing a lot of the legwork in terms of creating the symbol and really characterizing these people. What are they like? Well, they're like cats. Oh, okay. I understand that. Because cats perfectly display this lack of integrity that young Scorpion had talked about earlier. There's this thing floating around online about how if you die in your house, like if you have a pet dog, your dog will like sit with your body for days. You know, maybe they'll even go find help, you know, like Lassie style. But if you have a cat, if you have a heart attack and die in your home, your pet cat will almost immediately begin to eat you. No loyalty, no mourning period, no sentimentality. That's a cat for you. Sounds personal, Zach. Did you guys ever read that children's book, Millions of Cats by Wanda Gag? Yeah, that's that's my actual nightmare. Yeah, that was that was a great story. (laughs) (laughs) And all of this cat business, all of this this lack of a heart reminds me of one of the scenes in Cat Country. We referenced it earlier when the narrator's house collapses and everyone is starting to take the bricks off when he finally pays them. So he he saves his landlady and she is getting dug out of this rubble. She seems to be injured. I think she's bleeding from her head. And she's complaining about all of her tenants who are lying dead on the street. They were her husband's concubines But she goes so far as to kick their dead bodies repeatedly and bash their heads in as she complains to the narrator of how hard these sex pots made her work. No mourning, no sentimentality. I think it's probably worth mentioning that Lao Shu was, you know, paraded through the streets by the Red Guards because of the content of his stories. You know, he was beaten by a crowd. And then shortly afterwards, he killed himself by drowning in Taiping Lake in Beijing. My point being... This might be the only book of satire or political critique which we've read together, which more or less directly resulted in the author's death. Hey, this has nothing to do with Uncle Carl, does it? Leave him out of it. He just wanted everyone to share their reverie leaves. Okay, so as a reminder, we talked about it before, but everyone in cat country follows this ideology called Everybody Shareskyism, made by a thinker named Uncle Carl. As it's characterized, it seems to be mostly just an ideology to justify their looting and their their lack of integrity. (laughs) Like, for example, when they steal stuff, you know, they get together in a big group and everyone's chanting, everybody share ski, everybody share ski. And they're not just chanting this while they loot houses and and libraries and, and museums and stuff. They actually chant this while they have their array of, like, I don't know, concubines. They call them sex bots. I don't know if that's a word people still use, but they have these concubines that, that come visit the house and they're also chanting, everybody share ski, everybody share ski. And I think that this is also part of Lao Shu's, I mean, this is this is like Lao Shu's feminist critique of Chinese society right here. Yeah, it, it really is just like, he's thrown in everything, including the kitchen sink on this one, you know? Marxism, opium, concubines. He's just, he's going all in in terms of his critique of, of China here. Uh, we ha- you know, it has to be observed. And, you know, just going back to what Bob was saying, this house collapses and just eight women are crushed by the walls and die. And these women were the 
eight concubines of a guy who also has a wife. This guy has a wife and eight concubines. And it creates a ridiculously toxic atmosphere in which they're all competing with one another for their husband's affection. And actually even says that a bunch of babies get killed because these concubines are so competitive with one another that they actually kill each other's children so that one of the concubines doesn't go into the favor of the husband who is now dead, which meant that they, I think it meant that he had like no male heirs or something like this. So they literally just destroyed the family. So how dysfunctional this aspect of society in cat country is and the historical precedent of which we're aware within a hundred years of this book being written is just another part of this critique. But yeah, this everybody Shersky stuff, everybody Shersky. Well, I also think for Lausche, part of it is he's critiquing a, I suppose you would say like a lack of feminist identification or like lack of their own gendered interests, I guess. And he does this through a situation where our narrator is describing earth women to to these cat women. And at one point he starts talking about foot binding and he's like, a century ago, women used to bind their feet and, you know, it looked like this and, you know, but we found it inhumane and impractical. So women no longer do that. And you see this like note of disappointment fall over the cat women. They're like, what? You don't, you don't bind feet anymore. And you see them later, like imitating these aspects that, that Chinese society no longer does. The cat women are trying to introduce them into their own culture. And there's this sense of, they're they're introducing things that I would say are, you know, bad for them in terms of their own subjective reality as women for the sake of, I don't know, I guess what, beauty or a sense of culture or something like that. But there's this there's a sense in which they seem to be willingly undermining themselves. I think we see that also in that house collapse scene where the the wife is bashing in these heads, kicking these dead bodies, and she complains concubine by concubine saying, oh, this one was the worst. He got her when she was five and she just complained and complained. And so she took the side and then she goes on to the next woman and says, oh, and she was even worse. You know, I think to really summarize everything we've been talking about here, there's like a really uneasy relationship here with, you know, foreign customs where and with their own customs. It's like, it's like this is a society that doesn't know what it wants to be. And whatever it tries to do, it does it wrong. In terms of the traditional aspects, you've mentioned foot binding. You've mentioned this tradition of having concubines. And also the education system here is, is decrepit at this point. So you have all of these traditional things which aren't working anymore. So it seems like, okay, what we need to do is integrate new ideas and foreign ideas, things like this. In doing so, as we've mentioned, whether it's, you know, trying to wear trousers or it's introducing these ideas like everybody Shersky from Good Uncle Carl. And also we have young Scorpion who receives a foreign education and comes back and does nothing with it. And it seems like all they want out of this foreign education is just a quick book. They want to make a quick book and they want to make some money. And they think by imitating or going through the motions that they're going to make some kind of meaningful change. But there's a really interesting observation here, again, by young Scorpion, who I do think is largely the mouthpiece of Lao Shih, but not entirely. And he says, quote, Trying to adopt another country's institutions and learning wholesale is about as naive as trying to graft another man's flesh onto your own without first preparing your own body to receive the transplant. You can slap a new piece of flesh on your own arm, 
But unless you've made some provision for nourishing it, it's idle to expect it to grow. So it seems like in general, this is the Laosha's real critique of the country at this time, which is somewhere that's just kind of a patchwork of old and new ideas. And none of it really fits together as an organic whole. And it's just unhealthy. I want to keep an eye on this this character who is young Scorpion, who is too critical for the country, too critical for the dystopia. See if we run into more of these characters and see what happens to them. If they can actually critique society or if they do, are they disappeared? What's going to happen to them in these in these future books? And since I loved I loved Cat Country so much and I'm excited to continue on our dystopia month, can you tell me what is our next dystopia? The Ones Who Walk Away from Omalas by Ursula K. Le Guin. It's a utopian city that, in order to function, meets the absolute misery of a single child. Talk to you later, Bob and John. Talk to you later, John and Zach. Talk to you later, Zach and Bob.